Come on, if you're fifth grader under, right up here, right in front, right here, right in, right in front, right this front, right there, right there, right here, right here, on, on the floor. No, right here on the floor. Right here. You, yeah, I want you right over here. Nope, right over here, right here, right here. Yep, good. Right there, 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 there. Any parents that feel like kids? No. Okay, now, I have to caveat this. Because I need your help. You guys are going to help me tell the first part of my sermon this morning. Okay? So you have to promise that I'm going to give you something. And you're going to promise not to do anything bad with it. Okay? Everybody good? Pro- say, just say, I promise. I promise. Not to do anything bad. Not to do anything bad. All right. I'm trusting you. We made a promise. All right. Now you're going to hold these. These are palm branches. Yeah. It's good stuff. Are you allergic to anything green? Then why won't you eat your broccoli? I'm just asking. I'm just, you know. No, we're not. I'm, I'll tell the jokes today. You're just here to listen. And the difference is nobody eats broccoli. So there you go. Um, now, I did youth ministry for 16 years. You think I don't know that joke? All right. Now, I want to share with you all one of my favorite stories of old. And, and it's, I call it the grandest finale. Because I just don't think it gets any better than this. All right. Now, but I have some questions. And so we're going to raise our hands if we want to answer the question. If I don't call on you, you don't get to answer the question. Okay. Have you ever experienced something really exciting in your life? Anybody? If you want to raise your hand. Dylan, what have you experienced that's exciting in your life? Um. (laughs) That exciting. (laughs) Kate. You got the, the Millennium Falcon? Now that's, that is exciting. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, um, that, that is good stuff. I want to talk about something that I find very exciting. I always have, and, and there's no, really, no real way to say it other than to just share it right out. One of the most exciting things that I think happens continually is a Disney parade. Go ahead, you can say amen. Sorry. Disney parades are awesome. And I like them not just because I like popcorn, okay? I really enjoy a Disney parade because one of the things they always do, and all the parks do this, no matter what Disney park you're in, when they do the parade and and the characters are coming through and, and it doesn't matter what parade it is, they always just pick guests from the park to be the grand marshal of the parade or families. And I think, you know, that's really awesome because you're already at the happiest place on earth, okay? And in one of those parks, and then some worker comes up and says, hey, how would you like to be the grand marshal of the parade? Man, I'm like, pick me, pick me. You get to ride up there. You come out before Mickey. That's impressive. All right. Um, They always do that. They have a guest from the park be the grand marshal. Now, the grand marshal of the parade is anybody. It's their family. They get to sit in the lead car. And today we're going to begin our story by looking at a parade, so to speak. Go ahead and put your hands down. There'll be some questions in a second. Um, We're going to look at a parade in which the Grand Marshal was Jesus. And that was kind of the point of that drawing because I wanted to get you kind of thinking about Palm Sunday and what we call the triumphal entry, okay? Um, And so the Grand Marshal of this parade was Jesus. It was time for the great feast, a time when all of God's people would gather and remember the Passover and God setting his people free from slavery in Egypt. And today, Palm Sunday, marks the beginning of what we call the Passion Week. All right? Now, you guys ready? You're going to have to spring into action here in just a second. 
So, and, and when I say spring, you have to actually stand up, all right? But I'll, we'll get there. Um, it starts with Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem. And there's a hero's welcome for him. And, and they're coming in. The streets are lined with people, waving palm branches, spring into action. There you go. Wave them like this. You're not, you're not hitting flies. There we go. You're waving them. There, now you got it. Get a good rhythm going. It's a hero's welcome. And you're singing. Do you know the words to the song you're singing? No. Oh, we'll get there. Hold it. Just keep waving those. They're ready for him to be their king. But Jesus' purpose is far more significant than gaining political status this day. Today, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at the gospel accounts of the triumphal entry. Here you go. I want you to imagine this. The streets are lined. Everybody imagining? Here we go. We got, everybody's got your palm branches. And the crowds came to gather as Jesus made his raid to Jerusalem. And, the, and here's what's happening. The festival's going on. He's coming in. Took the palm branches out to meet him. Do you hear that? Listen. Let me hear him. Can you hear him swish? Do you hear him? The palm branches are swishing. Do you see the crowd? Look at the crowd around you, guys. Do you see the crowd? They're all here. They're all here because Jesus is coming in. And if they had palm branches, they'd be waving them too. Go ahead. Wave. There you go. Yeah, now they're in it. They're all waving their palm branches. Listen, though. As they're waving the palm branches, they went out to meet him. And you guys right here in the front, you little guys, you're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. Say it like you mean it. Hosanna. There you go. And now the adults, every time the kids say Hosanna, the adults are going to say, blessed is the king of Israel. Ready? Here we go. Hosanna. Hosanna. Oh, man. Could you imagine being a part of that? Oh, the people, the, the Jesus coming in. All right. Did you know? Um, wow, I'm so excited. I forgot what I was saying. The Bible tells us that a couple of things. First off, Jesus finds a young donkey. What do you guys think that the donkey, the sounds the donkey was making? Some pretty sad donkeys. I don't know if a donkey can gleefully say hee-haw, but I think he would be. You know, because I just think that somehow this donkey would know that his purpose in life just got elevated at the time of Jesus sitting on his back. Now, that's just me because I have a real weird imagination. But this donkey's coming in, and the Bible tells us this donkey had never been ridden. Now, you need to understand something, kids. A donkey that's never been ridden, it can't be ridden. <laughs> okay? It's very difficult because they're stubborn and they do crazy things. But Jesus sits on this donkey. And listen, he did this to fulfill a prophecy. And the prophecy said this, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so Jesus rode the donkey. And the people waved their palm branches. And they said, Hosanna. Good job. All right. I thought the adults had fallen asleep on us, but they came in there at the end. He did that. He fulfilled the prophecy. What do you think it sounded like as that donkey was coming down that little cobblestone road, maybe? What do you think? There you go. Not, to, not so fast. It wasn't a race. It was just kind of kind of trudging. There you go. Just there. Clip clop, clip clop. The donkey comes, and Jesus is riding this donkey into town, and the people would continue to shout, There we go. He's riding into town. Here's what you guys need to know. I want you guys, especially up here, to understand this. Jesus is riding this donkey into town, and it was a sign of victory. Okay? He's, think of this. Think, it's awesome. Jesus is riding into town. 
He knows that he's going to conquer this world and ultimately conquer death. But he was the only one who knew that. And he was the only one who would be able to say that it was his grandest finale. You guys did a great job. Put your palm branches down. There we go. Good, good. Go back to your parents so you don't lose them. Good. Everybody accounted for. Um, Man, great job. Thank you guys for your help. Here's my question, though. What if the story ended there? Jesus comes in over the palm branches. Hosanna. Glory to God. What if it just ended there? He's being rightfully honored for who he is, for the victorious king that he truly is. I'm so grateful the story doesn't stop right there. I wonder, though, if Jesus could really enjoy what we call the triumphal entry because he knew what was in store for him in Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen when he came into Jerusalem. Was his mind already preoccupied? In one minute, the people cheered and shouted, Hosanna, and they laid on palm branches. And then in what, what would seem like the blink of an eye, everything changed. Can you relate to that? Students, one day it's spring break. Next day you're back in school. Bam. Just like that. Maybe one day you're getting along with everyone, with all your friends, your peers. And the next day you feel all alone and like nobody cares. And you haven't really done anything. Just nobody's connecting with you. Kids, my younglings that were up here. One day it's Christmas. The next day you break your favorite toy. This happens that fast. Adults, one day your marriage and your family seems fine and everything seems like it's going well, only to discover the next day nothing was what you thought it was. So what do we do when everything changes in the blink of an eye? One day everything is fine and the next day you feel like the world has turned its back on you. I found a video clip to kind of share what some people think should happen when the world turns its back on us. Go ahead and play that. You okay, Jim? Yes, sir. You nearly died. I saved you. Well, hold on, help. A little. Thanks for the help. Hey, where you going? Nowhere. Hey, he looks blue. I say brownish gold. No, no, no. I mean, he's depressed. Oh. Kid, what's he? Nothing. He's at the top of the food chain. <laughs> the food chain. <laughs> so, where are you from? Who cares? I can't go back. Oh, you're an outcast. That's great. So are we. What'd you do, kid? Something terrible. Oh, anything we can do? Not unless you can change the past. You know, kid, in times like this, my buddy Tom here says you gotta put your behind in your pants. No, no, no. I mean, lie down before you hurt yourself. Kids, <laughs> you gotta put your past behind you. Look, kid, bad things happen, and you can't do anything about it, right? Right. Oh, when the world turns it. Cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. When the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. 
That's what he says. You know, I'm sure that Jesus knew how Simba felt. Simba was the son of the king of Mufasa. One day the whole kingdom was his. And in the blink of an eye, everything changed because someone tricked Simba into thinking he was responsible for the death of his father. One day he's future king. Next day he's outcast, living with a warthog and a meerkat. You know, Jesus, the son of God, would go from crowds shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And very soon the shouts become, crucify him. However, unlike Timon's advice to Simba, when the world turns its back on you, you turn your back on the world. Jesus shows us a much different path to follow. And when we feel like the world has turned its back on us, we've got some things to do. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. Thank you that we can come together, that we can look at this amazing story of love and grace and service of your son. Knowing what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, he still chose to come. We could never thank you enough for that. I pray that you'll open up our hearts to your word. I pray that our response to what we hear today will be life-changing and community-changing and ultimately world-changing. In your son's name we pray. Amen. When the world turns its back on you, what do you do? First off, has anybody ever felt like the world has turned its back on them? Okay, I'm not the only one. Good. Um, When the world turns its back on you, what should we do? According to Jesus' example, there are a few things we should do. And I've got some spots for you in the bulletin insert where you can write these down. First off, um, you should serve. What? Yeah, you should serve. You should pray and you should follow. And we're going to look at those real quick. As I said, the first one is serve. If you look at John chapter 13, you'll see that that Jesus is in this place where he knows the world is turning its back on him. And he chooses to wash his disciples feet. John chapter 13, verse one. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, do you not realize, excuse me, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. How could Jesus stand up and serve the very people he knew would turn their backs on him by washing their feet? The the lowest of jobs for a servant in a house. He knew at that point that Judas would betray him and turn him over to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that Peter would deny him not once, but three times in one night. He knew that they would fall asleep in the garden while he was praying for them when he asked them to keep watch. And he knew they would all be hiding in that same upper room where they're currently sitting. How can he do that? How can he serve at a time like that? I know sometimes I get overwhelmed. I think, oh, it's me. I've got all these other things going on in my life, and now I have to go and, and serve. I have to go and do. But here's the thing. Jesus could do that because he knew he was going to the Father. He wasn't focused on the death part. Notice the first, the, in that verse it says in John 13, 1, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, knowing that this hour had come, that his hour had come. If you read through the first 12 chapters of John, do you know what you'll see? He says, you would continually see that John says his hour had not yet come. All right? You can write these down. John 2, 4. John 7, 30. And John 8, 20 are just a few references where John specifically said his hour had not yet come. But here we are on the eve of the crucifixion and Christ is about to be crucified and he knew it. It's a very important point because this whole event needs to be seen with that in mind. We see that Christ wasn't having a pity party for himself. He wasn't upset about what was going to happen to him. We know later it weighed heavy on his heart. But no matter how bad things are going for us sometimes, Christians, we have no excuse for not serving others. Sometimes we feel like we just can't take on anybody else's trouble because we're overwhelmed with our own. Sometimes we we think that some others ought to be helping us because life is so bad or we're so caught up with something at the moment. We deserve to be helped. Maybe you are broke. Maybe you are sick. You pick whatever the problem is that may be yours. But what happens when we do that is we get our eyes on ourselves and on our problems and we don't even see the needs of others. And if we do see the needs of others, we're not in the right frame of mind to help them when their needs are made known to us. See, the problem we have is a natural tendency to be selfish. We need to be selfless. Jesus was selfless. You know, he knew. John says the time had, his time had come to go to be with the Father. He knew it was time for him to depart out of this world and go back to the Father. Notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say knowing he was about to die. It doesn't say that. I'm sure that Christ knew he was going to suffer a horrible death. But we see his focus wasn't on the bad aspect of departing the world. His focus is not on the pain and suffering. It's on the good part. His focus from the beginning, from that triumphal entry, his focus was the victory. He came in knowing that he was going to have victory over death. He's going to be with the Father again. That's the emphasis on this whole phrase. That's what we need to be thinking about. It's what Christ is thinking about. It helped him face death 
and not be overwhelmed by it. I don't know what you're facing right now in life, but I'm pretty sure it's not death. I'm pretty sure it's not a beating by the authorities. And if it is, it's probably deserved. I'm just saying. (laughs) Knowing that he was going to be with the Father, Christ was able to think about serving, and it helped him face death and not be overwhelmed by it. What else did Christ do when the world turned its back on him? He prayed. That's number two. When you look at John 17, verses 1 through 5, he prays for a few things for us. You can write that down, John 17. And actually, you need to look through verses 1 through 26, but I'm going to kind of break them down for you. Verse 1 through 5, he prays for himself to be glorified. Then in verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples. And in verses 20 through 26, he prays for all believers. You see, he knows that the very people he is praying for will at some point reject him, betray him, turn away from him. And I'm not just talking about the disciples. I'm talking about all believers. In Luke 22, 39 through 46, it tells us that while Jesus was praying, his disciples fell asleep. And with full knowledge of who we are and what we will do to him, Christ served and he prayed. And knowing that we would turn on him, knowing that the very people who shouted Hosanna and were waving palm branches would soon be shouting crucify him, he still chose to follow God's will, not his own. And that's the third one is following. He chose to serve during a time when most of us would cower in fear. He chose to pray during a time when most of us would be trying to rally up political help. And he chose to follow. Following, that may just be the most difficult thing in being a Christian. I was talking with the junior and senior high Sunday school class this morning, and I told them, all these other things are easy. You know, baptism, making Christ the Lord of your life, those are the big, most important decisions you'll make in your life. And, but coming forward and, and saying to, to 100 people that you know, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Savior, and, and then being baptized is the easy part. It's being faithful unto death later. That that's the hard part. But it's amazing to me to know that at this time, Christ was willing to follow. Seeking God's will and looking for God's vision in our own lives is what we should be doing as well. I always say, like I said, that confessing, baptizing is easy. Living out that confession, it's tough. But Christ sets us up with the best example ever. So I want to tell you, no matter what everyone else is doing in your life, no matter what everyone else is doing in your world, we need to honor God. Even when the world turns its back on us, we need to honor God. And that's what he was doing when he served his disciples in the upper room and washed their feet. He got up. That means that none of them had any desire to wash the feet of the others. They were saying with their actions that they were all too good to take on the role of a house servant. And washed the feet of the guests. And while the disciples reclined and ate, Jesus honored God. And in the same way, when he was praying in the garden, his closest friends couldn't stay awake and keep watch. While he prayed for them. While he prayed for us. And while we're out living our lives and and thinking of ourselves, Jesus chose to honor God. And draw strength from the Father through prayer. 
I love in, in these verses, the Bible says that an angel attended to him and he was strengthened. He was in anguish and he prayed more earnestly. And because he prayed, because he chose to honor God, he could move forward to meet everything the world was about to throw at him. And that, my friends, is the grandest finale. In the garden, he is praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Are you in a tough spot in life? I don't know where you are right now. Financially, maybe it's tough. Job situation. Maybe you're not sure if you're going to have one tomorrow. Family issues. Uncertainty about your future. I don't know, but like I said, I guarantee that you're not facing the betrayal of a friend that will lead to your arrest for something you didn't do. You're not about to be beaten. You're not being asked to take on the sin of the whole world on yourself. You're simply being asked to reflect God's love, to serve others before yourself, to lift others up in prayer, and to seek God's will in your life and follow his vision, not your own. You know, what makes the triumphal entry the grandest finale is that Jesus made a choice. When he was riding into town on that donkey, he made the choice to honor God, no matter what everyone else around him would choose to do. He chose to say, not my will, but yours be done. And we should be choosing the same. With his actions, Jesus said, not to me, but to your will be the glory, God. You see, when the world turned their backs on Jesus, Jesus turned his eyes to the Father. When the world turned its back on Jesus, he turned his back to the Roman soldier with a whip. When the world turned its back on Jesus, he picked up the cross and put it on his back. And he stood between the world and his Father for us. And even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. That's what makes it a grandest finale. So we have one of two options. When the world turns its back on you, you can either turn your back on the world and live out the gospel according to Timon. Or, as Philippians 2, 1 through 8 tells us, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you can, excuse me, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we know that his death on the cross was the groundwork for his ultimate victory and the grandest finale where he will conquer death. And even we remain faithless. He is faithful. As we've considered this triumphal entry today, I would like for you to also consider how you will respond to the word of God. It's not just a story of old. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something that, that somebody made up to sell a bunch of books. 
This happened, and it's true. And it's all true. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son for us. As we sing during this response time, consider how you'll respond, not to me, but how you will respond to God. Consider how you will respond to Jesus, knowing that he prayed for you, knowing that he served as the final sacrifice for us, knowing that he honored God the Father above himself. How will you respond? The baptistry is ready. The the elders are here if you'd like to pray. Your church family is here if you'd like to partner with us as we seek God's vision and direction for our community and our lives. Jesus chose to serve and to pray and to follow, knowing what was coming. We, we also know what's coming because we are, we are living in days of victory because we know that Christ is going to return and when he does, he's going to gather us. And it's going to be a celebration in heaven unlike what we saw here today. Palm branches can't express what's going to happen when we all get to heaven. But when we set ourselves aside and we say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord, That's when we know we're doing what God would have us do, even when the world turns its back on us. Will you stand and think that through and sing our response song with us?